You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live with Jack and Doreen Kennelly, and we hope that we can uh, uh, realize the uh, announcement before this segment that we would be inspirational and uplifting. So we, we hope to do that, and we have with us uh, Father Damien Schill. But before we go, uh, before that, uh, we, we move into the, our next interview. Did you know that there's a Real Presence Radio app? There you can find a list of the daily shows or listen live. Look for it in your app store. But another thing I wanted to do before we get to Father Damien, I have a joke to share. You have a joke? Yeah, and I'm not letting you do it because you didn't like it. You didn't think it was funny when I told you the other day. But <laughs> I think the, I didn't get it. <laughs> the, breakfast, the boys of breakfast at the table of knowledge thought it was a good one. Okay. So a guy walks into a bar and he tells the bartender, I want... I want 12 bottles of beer. I want you to open them up, and I want you to put them in a line right in front of me, straight line in front of me on the bar. And so the bartender's fine. So he takes up the bottles of beer, and he puts them in front of the guy all in a row. And he drinks the first one, he takes the second one, and he's just, just chugging these things down one after another. Finally, the guy gets to about the eighth one, and the bartender says, Hey, buddy, what's the deal? Why are you drinking like that? And he said, well, if, if, you, if you had what I had, you'd drink like that, too. So the bartender asked him, well, what do you have? And he said, about 75 cents. Okay, now normally we'd have a laugh track in there because we don't have a live audience. And I know that our audience out there is just laughing uproariously on that one. Do you have one, Dreen, or do you want to save I do. it? Okay, you go ahead. <laughs> maybe people, maybe oh. Father Damien will laugh at this one. I was going to tell you a fighting joke, but I forgot the punchline. I get it. That was a good one. (laughs) Okay. Father Damien, after that, are you still with us? (laughs) Barely. (laughs) Well, let me give a brief introduction, and you can fill in in any uh, gaps that we've left. Father Damien Schill is the chaplain of the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, and he's on to talk about his work as chaplain and the challenges and blessings he has experienced over the past year. So, thanks for being with us today, Father. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself than that introduction that I had, which was greatly inadequate. Okay. <laughs> I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fargo, now they're dating in 1987, and I'm on loan to the Military Archdiocese, which covers all federal institutions in the, throughout the world. And so I'm at presently the chief chaplain at the Minneapolis VA Medical Center in Minneapolis. How long have you been there, Father? At this hospital for just over 20 years. Wow. Wow. Where does time go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before that, I was at our Philadelphia VA, and then when I was at Holy Spirit, I also took care of the VA in Fargo. Right. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your work. What's a what, what's it like being a VA chaplain? A day in the life. A day in the <laughs> life. There you go. <laughs> well, everything is a lot different because of the, the COVID restrictions. Everybody remembers COVID, right? Uh, not fondly, but yes. <laughs> well, it's still going on. Mm-hmm. So last March, a year ago, March, we uh, shut the hospital basically down. And, you know, there was all kinds. No one really knew what was going to happen. It was in that scary period. 
And so um, my chaplains here, most of them didn't want to deal with COVID because they didn't want to get sick. They have wives and children and all this sort of stuff. So I decided from the get-go that I would take care of all the COVID patients myself in the hospital. And so far, I think as of last Thursday, I think we had 118 of my patients have died in the hospital from COVID. And that's not counting the people that die, you know, at other places, at nursing homes and and stuff that we've taken care of. So it's been a very um, long, you know, arduous thing. And we had a patient die yesterday of COVID and the day before. So COVID is very much still with us very much. But one of the things that the national VA did, we had a conference call back in March that we were to shut down all religious services in the hospitals. Like, you know, your bishops closed all your churches. Mm-hmm. They wanted us to close all of our chapels. And um, I said, oh, and that was the end of that because we never... <laughs> the Mass, we didn't skip a Protestant service, we didn't skip anything. Everything continued exactly as it was, and we had Mass every single day for our patients and for our staff here at the hospital. That is wonderful. Yeah, and so we we did that, and um, I took care of patients. I remember the first Catholic patient that was going to die, we had to talk to patients, you know, on monitors, which was ridiculous because most people, when they're sick, you know, can't hardly hear anyway. Mm. And plus, our population is, is old. Mm-hmm. And so I went up to the unit, and the nurse said, you can't go in the room. And I said, i got to go in the room in order to give the patient the anointing of the sick and sciaticum. And they said, no, you can't go in. You have to do everything from here. I said, "I'm no. I said, I'm going in. You give me the PPE. If you don't, I'm going in anyway. Well, magically, all the PPE appeared. So that I didn't have that issue again with with staff and um, Father, excuse me, what's PPE? Personal protective equipment. Oh, okay, thank you. You know the mask, the gown, the shield, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. So we had that, and as it turned out, over the year, the, the hospital got a number of letters sent to the hospital director or, or whoever, talking about how wonderful it was of the ministry that I was doing with these COVID patients, whether Catholic or non-Catholic that they, the families felt there was a connection that they were able to have, because families were not allowed to come in, if you remember when this thing first mm-hmm. started. And so people were dying alone, you know, other than with the nursing staff or with me. And so families, of course, really appreciated that. And then I was nominated for Civil Servant of the Year for the state of Minnesota and won that award last May. And I didn't, I don't know who nominated me. I still don't know who nominated me, but... And the people really cared about the ministry that I was doing here. And it was strange. When, I, when headquarters contacted me, they said they don't think any other chaplain has ever received this award in the history of the country, let alone any Catholic priest. And so it was, you know, it's a bigger honor than I thought it was, you know, because it's like whatever. Mm-hmm. But the headquarters made a big deal out of it and stuff, too. So, What a great tribute to um, the truth of what this— you know, a chaplain can do and the love that he can bring and your tenacity and, and just standing firm. That well, I think it's interesting because it sounds like you were, uh, to some extent, maybe breaking or at least bending the rules, but then again, you, you, you get honored for it. So I guess maybe they understood that uh, there was some wisdom actually to what was going on. Well, and the courage uh, to do yeah, what The courage, right. yes. I'm I'm thinking in terms of 
you know, was Father Damien of Molokai or Saint Damien of Molokai, was he kind of an inspiration to you when uh, it was decided that you were going to be taking care of uh, all of the COVID patients? Well, the, when the whole thing started back in March of last year, I prayed to Damien of Molokai to protect me and all of my priests from COVID. And so far, he has, none of my priests that I had here have gotten COVID, and I haven't, and I've seen COVID patients basically every single day for the last year and a half. So, yeah, prayer makes a difference. I think, you know, as Catholics, you know, we ask the saints to intercede for us, you know, and it's God that protects us from it. But I think one of the things that I had a problem with was this fear amongst religious people, you know, of closing churches and synagogues and, you know, hiding and all, like, you know, even, you know, St. Charles Borromeo, when they stopped having Masses in the small churches, left the large churches open, and they had Masses in the streets, you know, mm-hmm. so people could still go to Mass. You know, so to shut things down and not allow people to... Eucharist, is like, it's like, if we're not about the Eucharist, what are we about? And if we're not about Christ serving, what are we about? And so that was my little song and dance on that. Well, and it's a question we we really need to ask ourselves as individuals um, in, I think, you know, in our daily lives. You know, if Christ isn't the center, what is? Well, and I think that, you know, the shutting the churches down has not helped the uh, Catholic Church. Because I have a lot of people who are even volunteers here in the hospital and employees of, you know, well, the bishop said we didn't have to go to church. I said, well, that was lifted. No, no, no. We don't have to go to church then, and we don't have to go to church now. So a lot of people who, including my own family, you know, I got the same thing this weekend when I was up and at our my niece's birthday. Nope, Bishop said we don't have to go to church. Bishop said you do. Nope, not doing it. No. The sadness is that um, so many don't know or realize what they're missing. Yeah, it's like they don't want to come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, you know, like a lot of people no longer believe in the true presence. And if you don't believe in the true presence, then there is no point to going to church. Right. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just like whatever, you know. Yeah. You can get the same thing from the Presbyterians or from the Muslims or whatever. It's just some generic Christianity. And, um, yeah. Well, so, outside of the, the COVID context that, you know, certainly is uh, permeating just about everything you do, uh, what other, what kind of health challenges do our veterans face, you know, in general, and how do you help minister to them? You know, and, and I'm t- saying, let's take the COVID uh, uh, element out of that question. Unless you had one, one of the more big things. Go one ahead. of the big things that um, Vietnam veterans are, are dealing with right now, it's not only the mental health issues, but the uh, cancer from the Agent Orange. So a large number of our um, population was infected with Agent Orange during the war and are dealing with those health issues now. And so it's very, it's, you know, each group has their own particular thing. And of course, you know, the big issue now is suicide amongst veterans. There's a lot of uh, money being put to, you know, helping people who have um, that issue. There's, you know, many different issues. People coming back from the service, you know, they're used to this lifestyle, they come home, their wife is used to this lifestyle, kids are used to this, you know, it's, it's a hard 
adjustment for a lot of people coming back after being overseas. And everybody's different. You know, there's no one thing. And a lot of people have religious and spiritual issues. You know, why did God allow this to happen and all this sort of thing? And and for some reason, God gets blamed for everything, and the devil gets blamed for nothing. But So, Father, do you, do you find yourself um, kind of taking the role of spiritual director or spiritual guide with um, within families, or are you are you there to minister to the needs of those who are hospitalized while they're hospitalized? Normally, we only deal with people who are here in the hospital. You know, we have uh, our chaplaincy, an inpatient chaplaincy. It's not an outpatient chaplaincy or, a, you know, meeting with families outside of this. We'll meet with families for, like, family meetings, you know, about health issues and things like that. But normally not a lot of time for other sorts of things. So one of the things I try and do is to get these guys reconnected to their local community. Because once they're, you know, not connected with the local community, no matter what we do, it's not going to help them in the long run. And so if people are Lutheran, you know, we try and say, well, what Lutheran church do you belong to? Do you go to church? Do you talk to the pastor? And like Catholics, a lot of them don't go to church or don't have any connection. And so we try to get them to reconnect with their churches and synagogues and whatever so that they can have that support once they're out of here. Are there people in the parishes that are kind of designated to help them find a place back in the parish once they are out of the hospital? I don't know what most parishes do, but I would say probably the majority don't do that any more than they do it for regular patients that get out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. I would think in the rural context that would really be difficult for someone who's you know going back home uh, you know, being having been discharged from the VA hospital with the the support system there, to basically having none other than maybe by phone. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff with the psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers. Do a lot of stuff by teams, mm-hmm. where that you know a lot of patients, like say you live out in Beach, North Dakota. Well, you know, to go to the VA is a big, you know, major adventure, and so a lot of stuff we do on teams where you can talk live you know, to your doctor or your care providers or your team and about what's going on. So we do have that for patients in rural areas as well as patients in in the Twin Cities because some patients are homebound. And to go to the hospital just for a a regular appointment is a major undertaking. And so if we can do things over the team, and we have home nurses who go to homes, we have social workers also that go to homes to help people out. So is that uh, um, so? That's through your. Did you say your the kind of with the social workers and um, you know, that team that's set up within the hospital be, to yeah, provide for them? Yeah, maybe in C, there's we have what's called CBOX too, which is community based um, outpatient care, and those are all over the country. So there's one in Grand Forks. You know, there's probably in Jamestown and places like that. They probably have those that patients can go like things that are closer to home. You need to go to the major hospital if you need to have surgery or something like that. We're trying to make things as convenient for patients as possible. And even the VA has been giving out laptops to patients that they would have back in order to communicate with their medical staff. Uh, yeah, great use of technology 
um, for the you know for situations like that. It sounds like. Yeah, it's it, you know the, the pandemic has really changed a lot of things of how we do things. You know, we're in the hospital here. All of our computers were changed from regular computers to all. Everybody has a laptop now, but if you need to work remotely, you can still do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we it's from that standpoint we modernized quickly. You know, mm-hmm. compared to what we were in the past, but the president, you know, ordered you know, this warp speed um, thing that all this stuff happened. And so it came from on high, and the, the VA got on it really quickly. And how nice is that for those that veterans that don't have uh, the technology in their homes that they provide the laptop or the um, iPad or whatever it is for them, too. That's... Yeah. I would think for a lot of them, that's a lifeline. Mm-hmm. It is. Think of someone that lives up in the North Woods. You know, you maybe don't even have a road to your house. You may have to get in and out by water, you know, and... It gets to be, you know, very difficult. And this, this is a real help to people like that. Mm-hmm. Break that isolation that they might feel. Yeah. It's got to be kind of frustrating, I would think, though, for the caregivers uh, dealing with uh, some of these men and women who do live in isolation or, you know, semi-isolation where, you know, you want to be able to deliver the care that they need, but you really can't do it in a way that, you know, is necessarily optimal, I for lack of a better word. Well, and you, you can't because, you know, staffing is a real issue. You know, we've been chronically short staff in chaplaincy for years, you know, and according to the our specific numbers, what we should have is 18 FTE for chaplaincy just to do the inpatient care here at the Minneapolis VA. We have five FTE to do that. Right. Wow. And so everybody's, you know, doing double work for years you know, to try and meet the needs of all our patients. And that's why when people say, why aren't you doing stuff for patients in the community? It's like we can barely cover the stuff here in the hospital, let alone, you know, traveling time back and forth to patients' homes and all this sort of stuff. So. Okay, Father, we're, we're up against a break right now, but uh, I want our listeners to know that they should hold on and we're uh, for more of our discussion with Father Damien Schill, the chaplain at the Minneapolis VA healthcare system, and uh, talking about his work as a chaplain and some of the challenges uh, that he's had over the last uh, uh, past year. We'll be getting to those uh, right after the break, so stay with us for more of Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. The people love and respect me without knowing really anything about me. They love and respect me not because I'm such a great guy, but because I'm a priest and because of what God can do for them if I'm willing to be generous and obedient to Him. And so that respect, I remember I was about 30 years old, and uh, and there's, there's 
these 70, 80 year olds coming and asking my advice about things. And I'm kind of like, you guys have lived way more than me. They go, but, but you're our father. You're our father. And, and we want to know what you would advise. Uh, so, so the humility and uh, the, the trust and the faith of the people would probably be the, the biggest thing in a, in a general way. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision provides eye exams for the whole family and specialty services like vision therapy and custom contact lenses. We offer a variety of frames with missions you can believe in, like Moto Eyewear, which gives away a pair of glasses to a child in need for every frame sold. We are so grateful for your support and grateful to be supporting RPR. You can learn more about our mission at lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Your hosts for uh, this morning are myself, Jack Canelli, and my wife, Doreen. <laughs> so, so welcome back. We're talking with Father Damien Schill, as the who is the chaplain of the Minneapolis VA healthcare system. But before we get back to Father Damien, Doreen has another one of her uproariously funny jokes. Well, this is sort of it's. It could be considered maybe a riddle joke. Okay, and, well, Father, let... you can either answer it or Jack will see who hits the buzzer first. Okay. The question is, what is the most groundbreaking invention of all time? The Eucharist. I'm going to say... Oh, well, that's true. Yes. I'm gonna, okay. Father I, I don't know that that's an invention. I'm going <laughs> to say the shovel. You, Jack got it. It's the shovel. Uh, wow. Wow. I'm impressed. Boy. I'm going with the Eucharist. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to call myself a genius after that one. <laughs> Father, I like, your, I like your answer. The truth. Yeah. yeah. Well, Father, before the break, uh, in, in the first part of this segment, we, we, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the challenges that you've been facing, but we want to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, some of the specific challenges over the course of the last year, or actually, let's just say challenges in general over your entire time as a chaplain in the VA system. And how did you respond to those? I think one of the major challenges that our patients and veterans experience is when they come back from whether fighting in Afghanistan or some other place, you know, they come back to a community that, unless you've been in it, you really don't understand it. It's like someone who's never been married then telling you how you should be living your married life. You know, well, you may have all the intellectual experience with it, but you really don't have the lived experience. And so a lot of our veterans, when they came back, came back to their churches and synagogues and were not welcomed back. And it's not that people said, get out. It was more the attitude of the clergy you know, that this is an unjust war and we shouldn't be, you know, doing this, that, and the other thing. And so our veterans are coming back saying, did I, did I waste my life? You know, it's like for us as Catholics when people say, I'm a recovering Catholic. Mm. It's like, uh, what well, does that mean that I've been wasting my life because I've been Catholic my whole life? And so when people tell me that they're recovering Catholic, I say, well, once you recover, come and talk to me, then we'll get it all figured out. <laughs> right. So 
But a lot of our patients and veterans face that. And a lot of our veterans have said they stopped going to church altogether because their pastor, you know, preached an anti-military sermon or something like that. And so I think as priests, we need to be careful what we say because everybody has their own filters. So I can tell you an example, and Jack, you probably remember this, um, when I was at Holy Spirit the first time. It was October, and I preached one of my pro-life homilies, and two women came into the sacristy at the same time. I thought they were together. And one of the ladies was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. This is wonderful, blah, 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 blah. Second lady, you're full of, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just, like, you know, driving people out of the church. It's like, okay, they both heard the exact same sermon, but they got something totally different out of it. And so I think that when we're preaching, we have to remember that, that everybody's filtering it through their own filter system. And we may be, you know, pro-peace, but are we pro-peace to the point that we're driving away members of the community who have served their country in the military and to protect that? Um, Father, I've got a question for you, talking about filters here. Um, it seemed like after Vietnam, so many of those men and women came back, and uh, they are almost derided for their service. And I think that the the government, uh, and I think maybe even the American people, responded that you know this was not a good thing. And so maybe the reception home from those who have been, you know, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, was maybe a little bit different. Do you see any difference between? Uh, the veterans from Vietnam versus, uh, you know, the, the later conflicts that we've been involved in, as far as... Not really. Not on a personal level. You know, because people will... The guys I'm talking about are guys who are back recently. Mm-hmm. It's not people that are back from World War II. You know, and it's just been difficult. The difference between the Vietnam War and the um, Middle Eastern Wars was that President Bush made the determination when we invaded... Um, Iraq the first time, that we would not refer to the soldiers as anything other than heroes. Because that became the, the mantra for the media, for everybody else, that these are our heroes. And so the government was very much supportive of our military, but the churches and synagogues were not. And so there was a disconnect, and so people then began to support more the government standpoint, because the degrees bet more with their idea than they would do with the church. And so people became alienated from the churches, but came to the government for their needs. Okay, so the, the the government tried to respond, but as just to a great extent, it sounds like it was kind of undermined of what, what was actually going on in the hometowns. And what was going on in the local community was different. You know, the, the VA and the veterans associations, all this sort of stuff, were very much a gung ho. Support our veterans. Support our veterans. And the clergy were not saying don't support our veterans. They were saying, this is an unjust war, you know, we shouldn't be involved in the Middle East, and all this sort of stuff. When you're sitting there in church, and you're hearing this week after week after week, it's like, I'm getting beat down, you know, why would I come here to be told that I'm a bad person? And so, many people disconnected with the church, no matter if it's Catholics or Protestants or whatever, they just stopped going. Yeah, that's uh, (laughs) not exactly a happy homecoming. Um, well, well, the thing is, how to, how to be a peace religion, but still accept the people who who have want to serve their country to help preserve that peace. Right, to lay down their life for, yeah, yeah for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, because war is not good. Everybody no. knows that. Yeah. And no one says war is great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how do we protect, you know, help our ser- service members when they return, you know, from service? Because the idea was with President Bush was that the community as well as the government would support these people. And as it turned out more, it's more the government that supports the people rather than the religious community. Right. Well, a lesson that we need to learn and apply to our our lives as best we can. Yeah, well, let's, um, you know, you're kind of working in, I'm not going to say a dark place, but a very difficult place, but I would guess that there are also uh, victories that you've experienced or blessings that you have uh, uh, experienced uh working as a chaplain at the Minneapolis VA. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then uh, I want you to talk, uh, as you know, as we get towards the end, which we are doing right now, uh, what are some of the ways that our listeners can show their support for our veterans? Well, one of the things that I, I always say about the VA is the VA has always supported me 110% in everything that I want. You know, they, when I need, you know, like we need a new organ. They said, go buy a new organ, you know, and... If I need to go to a conference, go to the conference. We'll pay for it. I've always gotten a lot of support for me personally, as well as my ministry in the federal government, by the federal government. I've never been told, no, you can't do that. No, don't do this. No, don't do that. Even with the shutting down of the chapel, you know, I said, I'm not doing it. And they could have said, you're doing it, or we're going to fire you. And they didn't say that. They said, okay, you do what you think is best. And so that's, you know, the VA has been always very supportive of us in, in that manner. Sounds like they trust you, and that and that's a good place to be when you're working to be trusted to use your gifts and your knowledge and your, your abilities to serve those that have been entrusted to you. It's good, that's good to know as a, as a listener, that um, you're respected by the federal government. Well, we've got about two and a half minutes, Father. Why don't we talk about uh, uh, what are some things that our listeners can do to, to support our veterans? Well, something we do is, you know, like when Veterans Day and things like that actually come up, it's not just a day to not lay around and do nothing, but it's a day to celebrate our veterans and thank them for what they did. You know, and as a parish, you know, what are we doing as a local community to support our veterans? Not that we don't support other people, too, but, you know, on Veterans Day, we should make it a special, you know, day. You know, do we have a special breakfast? Do we have a special time for them? And also for veterans and their families that are suffering and going through struggles, what do we have as a local community to help them, you know, with that? You know, do we have psychologists and um, psychiatrists available that are Catholic, who understand Catholic things as well as military things? Or do we send them to secularists who don't? you know, who the religious aspect. But I think as a church, we could focus a lot more on, on that, not just for veterans, but for everybody, that we should have psychologists and psychiatrists for them to talk to who actually are Catholic and understand the Catholic way of, of doing things. You know, it, it sounds like, um, you know, if we're listening to the news, it almost sounds like the, the military is kind of diminishing the... Uh, uh, any kind of support for religious uh, uh, activity. Uh, but it sounds like the VA is not going there. No, in the military, it depends on which where you're at. You know, cause 
A lot of it depends on the commander, and also a lot of it depends on the chaplain. If the chaplain doesn't stand up and say, no, we're not doing this, well, they're going to, you know, get rid of it. It's like a number of years ago here, when I first, before I came here, they wanted to close the chapel because it was just a waste of space. And so big fight. And so we still have the chapel. So, but if we don't stand up for our rights as uh, religious, then we're going to be bowled over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, 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 is, it sounds like it, it, it is kind of a, a, a struggle out there, but uh, uh, you're holding your ground at least for yourself. But, well, Father, we're running out of time. we got a hard break coming up, and we want to thank you for being with us. We've been talking and with— for your service to the veterans. And for your service to the veterans, yes. We've been talking to Father Damien Schill, chaplain at the VA in uh, Minneapolis. And uh, stay with us. More to come on Real Presence Live after the break. 